This podcast may contain graphic and or explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners, especially kids like me. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Real Life Podcast brought to you by the Thin Blue Line for Women. In this podcast, We open up and talk about real-life issues as they relate to first responders. It's raw, it's real, and it's about time. I'm Tamara, your host. Thanks for joining me. Don't forget, you can listen to The Real Life Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. In this podcast episode, I talked with Jean Assam, who tells the chilling story of how she prevented a gunman from taking more lives at the New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, after he already shot and killed several people. So before we get to her interview, I just want to do some quick shout outs. These are some people that just came to my mind quickly, people that have sent me DMs or private messages on Facebook or people that retweet constantly, uh, just people that I feel that are on my side. And there's more of you out there than just this list. This is just a quick list I put together. So shout out to the following, Talons, Brad Pridgen, Benjamin Tyler Smith, Pat Yon, DeChief, Jill Benny, Tim Allen, Cindy Ward, Jason Harney, UT Charger Tom, Ohio Gal, Detective Blue Line, Johnny Sox, Frank Klein, Garcia Margie, Carol Otto, Joe Kelly, Carla Westhaven, Jacob Watchman Barton, Tia Johnson, Griff Stay Strong, Lee Roberts, Jason Lee, Donna Brown, Lieutenant Scotty P, Joanne Rickman, and Susan Neeland. And I'd also like to take just a quick moment to thank the following people for sponsoring the Real Life Podcast. I super appreciate your sponsorship. Lori, Susan, Cammie, Ron, Benjamin, Katie, Paul, Kelly, and Anne. These people support the Real Life Podcast monetarily with just as little as 99 cents. So if you're enjoying the Real Life Podcast, I invite you to support it just exactly like I said, 99 cents is all that it that it takes. Uh, it does go a long way to fund future episodes. And where does that money go? It goes directly to the program called Squadcast FM that charges me every month to record the guests. So that's exactly where the money goes and literally 99 cents a month, and you can cancel at any time. So there are the shout outs. Let's get on with the interview. And again, I'm talking with Gina Som, who tells the very detailed story of how she prevented a gunman from taking more lives at New Life Church, New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. So without further ado, let's go.
Today, I have a very special guest who has quite a story to tell. On December 9th, 2007, while working off-duty security at the New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, she found herself face-to-face with a man armed with an AR-15, a man who already shot and killed several people. She made the ultimate decision and saved lives. Please join me in welcoming Jean Assam. Jean, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me You're on. welcome. Jean, this is going to be a hard story for you to retell, but I have a lot of people who want to hear your story who have not heard your story. So please tell us about this incident that happened at the New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado that day. All right. So um, a lot of people may have read some things on the internet and or heard, you know, these forums that are online, but those have been very misconstrued and fabricated. And so I'm just, I want to thank all the people that are listening today that want to hear the truth, because my goal is to help all of you who have also had to kill somebody. You had no choice but to kill somebody. And, you know, if you're not a sociopath, this is going to affect you. And uh, so so this was, uh, as she said, uh, December 9, 2007, 11 years ago. Seems like it was just yesterday. And a uh, life-changing event. I was working, you know, I was an off-duty law enforcement officer. So I was, uh, had my certification was still current. Everything was good. And uh, just volunteering as part of the church security team. Now, this church is a mega church in Colorado Springs. It had at that time about 15,000 members and two services. So, you know, each one was divided up. So on that day in December, there was um, extra people because we had a guest speaker and I had been, um, you know, I, I was a brand new believer. I'd been, um, I, I had been working as a highly paid investigator downtown Denver for the Department of Labor and Employment, making very good money. I miss that money. And uh, I was recruited. I got a phone call one day in my office by the uh, secretary of then director of the Department of Corrections in Colorado Springs saying, uh, Mr. Ortiz would like you to be his guest for lunch. And so I go down there. I didn't know a thing about what parole officers did. And I knew I'd be taking a big pay cut, but I, I just, for some reason, went with it. So I moved to Colorado Springs. That brought me to New Life Church. It was all like divinely orchestrated. And so um, I'm speeding things up here, you know, to get right to the good stuff. But so I uh, find myself joining the volunteer 12, approximately 12 member security group, just volunteer security group. I was the only female, I was the only police officer and not all of us were armed, but I was asked to be armed, of course, because I was the police officer. And so uh, I was that day, December 9, I was planning on staying home because I had, you know, just thought I need, I think I need God in my life. And this isn't, you know, this is just, you know, part of who I am. So I decided I was going to try fasting to seek 
God for who he wanted, you know, what did he want for my life? What, what direction did he want me to, to take in my life? Do I stay in law enforcement or do something else? And so I was going to stay home and not go to church that day and serve. So I thought, you know, I got bored. I was kind of bored. Look on the internet, and there's a very small sentence up in the upper right corner on MSN that said there had been a shooting at this Christian youth discipleship place called YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and the gunman had escaped. It was at 1230 midnight this same morning. And I just got, you know, you always go with your gut feeling. You always go with your gut feeling because it's, that's your voice telling you, you know, like, this guy is up to no good. That's why we make such good cops. You know, you listen to that voice. So um, just got chills running up the back of my spine. And I was like, I've got to get to church. This guy is going to come from Arvada, which was a northwest suburb of Denver. And I'm now 70 miles south in Colorado Springs. And I just knew that he was going to come there. And I couldn't tell anybody, you know, like I called the Colorado Springs police and I said, you know, I think this gunman who's now on the loose, he had escaped after killing, shot and killed people, had escaped at 1230 midnight. We didn't know who he was, but they said he was a white male in his 20s, you know, about 5'11", thin build. No, I'm sorry. They didn't give a build or a height or anything like that. So it was just a white male, approximately 20s. So very vague description. But I, but I just, uh, so I called the director and I said, have you heard about this shooting in Arvada? And he said, yeah, I heard about it. And I didn't say anything else. I just said, I'm coming in. So I showered and I'm thinking I might not be coming home today. I mean, I was just like keeping all this to myself. Wasn't afraid. Just, just, you know, that was just something that was a possibility. I might not be coming home that day. So I'm, so I get to church. It was only a mile away. And most of the first service was, was coming to an end. And then the second service started and uh, kind of had a weird feeling. I noticed that there were extra Colorado Springs officers there. We always said, what, three off-duty officers patrolling the parking lot. It's a mega church. There's lots of car break-ins while church is in service, etc. And there was always one off-duty uniform inside. And I noticed there was like four or five that day and still didn't say anything. And, uh, you know, like, how do you know this guy's coming? And it's like, oh, God told me, you know, like, how is that going to sound? So didn't say anything. And uh, the it's t- like 1245 and the service is over, but people are just lingering. And I remember the, the, the regular cop that was always there, this older guy, he was like, well, I'm out of here. It was 1245. And I'm like, really? There's, there's still, you know, so many people here. Cause I was, I would always stay till the, all the people were gone. I mean, when I do a job, I take it very seriously. I do it with excellence. I'm not going to leave when all those people are there. And we had never had an active shooter before. I think the first one we really knew of was Columbine. And I hadn't even moved to Colorado yet when that happened. And so we had never been trained in active shooters or anything. And, uh, you know, I wasn't afraid. I was just watching, you know, like was, I was just going to go with my gut feeling. Like I, I, you know, you can tell when there's a, you're behind a stolen vehicle. You can just like run the plate 
And sure enough, it's stolen. You know, I have a really good sense for that stuff. So I knew that if he did walk in, I would, I would know who it was. I didn't know how he's going to walk in this, this gunman. So anyway, uh, Cops are pretty good at having a sixth sense, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. It's not, there's no such thing as women's intuition. It's, <laughs> it's gut instinct and right. either you listen to it or you don't. Mm-hmm. Men have it too. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so um, all the cops left. It's about one o'clock and most of my team left and there was a Broncos football game on that day. And, you know, that's just a possibility why they're, you know, the second service had ended. He, the, the gunman didn't show up. So they probably thought he wasn't going to. Well, we found out later through pinging of his cell phone tower, and he had been on his phone talking to a friend in his car in the front parking lot waiting for those squads to leave. And we found out from the police talking to her that he said, well, I got to go. I'm going to church. You know, he spoke those eerie last words. So he starts planting. uh, He had planted... um, smoke devices, explosive devices in and around the church while church was in service. Two little boys who were witnesses later said that they saw him come in because of the clothes he wore Mm -hmm. and uh, they had been out in the hall playing. So he had been inside while church was in service and I was in the front. And uh, so he waited for the squads to leave. And as soon as they did, he started planning some weird commercial grade smoke devices. And so I had been called outside, you know, there's something weird going on outside and we have so many members and, you know, I didn't think, Oh, the gunman's here. I just thought it could have been, you know, teenagers up to something. It could have been anything because we had a lot of weird, you know, domestics and medicals and things like that in a church. It's not just people with guns. So um, I went outside to investigate. Sure enough, it was a smoke smoke device commercial grade it looked like a white stick of dynamite or a light blue smoke's pouring out of it and people are just walking through it like it's an everyday thing and I was trying to keep them back and uh trying to think like do I call the fire department is this going to explode trying to keep people back and all of a sudden it stopped smoke stopped so I go inside and I was, I had asked people, I'm like, did anybody see who dropped this, the, this device? And some people said it was three guys, three white guys in a white car. And someone else said it was one white guy in a red car. So oh we all know that as cops, that's typical, you know, like it was a black guy with a tan leather jacket. No, it was a white guy with a black leather jacket, things like that. So right, I was right. going inside to write down witness info and I heard, someone go there's another smoke grenade outside the cafeteria doors which were far away from where i was standing so what he was doing the this gunman was trying to do distraction devices i guess so before i could even say another one i hear this pop 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 coming from the east hallway of this mega church and so I start making my way over there like, holy cow, are you kidding? You know, like, and then all of a sudden I hear the high powered crack or the crack of a high powered rifle. And it was so loud because this is like a metal cement church. This isn't carpet and soft and things like that. So the, the, the uh, shots were so loud. I thought he was inside. 
and I hear people, you know, he's, so he's coming in the East hallway, which is approximately a hundred yards long and approximately 30 feet wide. And it houses uh, daycare. It houses uh, special needs adults, uh, the youth programs and uh, all, everybody's in that hallway and parents are picking up their kids. It was, it was packed with hundreds and hundreds of men, women, and children. And he's, the gunman is coming in now. The pop, pop, pop noises I heard was him shooting and killing people in the parking lot. So remember, he had already killed people at NYWAM, killed those students at 1230 midnight, uh, shot four, killed two, point blank range, and escaped. So now he's here. And I was just like, you have got to be kidding me. I was, I was like, I mean, to be right, my gut feeling, I was just blown away that I was right, that he had actually right. shown up. Just on my gut feeling was incredible. So, you know, listen to that voice. So um, he's firing his AR-15 through the glass doors straight in. And there's pictures that show that. So his rounds from his AR-15 are going straight through the into the sanctuary. So he can shoot with that AR uh, over 300 yards with that gun. And um, so everybody's running and screaming every which way, you know, mostly past me. And I was like, where is he? Because it was packed with all these people. And my uh, partner goes, there he is, Gene. He's coming in the doors right now. And it was a miracle. He didn't hit a single person. But but later in the report, I read witnesses saying, you know, I knew I had been shot in my back. It was burning. It hurt. I knew I had been shot in my ankle, you know, and they would lift up their clothing and nothing was there. So it was just like angelic protection. Wow. Amazing. It was amazing. And uh, so I sprinted. I take the gun out of my jeans. I had a Beretta. 92 FS, 15 rounds, one in the chamber. So I had 16 rounds and uh, just sprinted down the hall straight towards him. And all of a sudden, everybody had found a place to hide. There's all these bathrooms and classrooms. So in seconds, they had found a place to hide. And we had uh, very expensive uh, digital radio systems like the, you know, like the FBI where, so I had my earpiece in. And the hall was empty in seconds and no one was talking on those radios. It was just a miracle, another miracle after miracle after miracle. So nobody was talking. And I was just like, you know, I was just like in my element. I love this stuff. It's like I was a Minneapolis cop. I was on the north side in the fourth precinct, which was the busiest precinct in the city. We had shootings, you know, morning, noon and night. I love that stuff. And you know, the worse the chaos, the more at home, uh, calm I am. So I wasn't afraid. And um, everybody had cleared out. I had sprinted down the hall. So I had gotten to a hallway up so close to him. So he's firing down the hall, trying to hit these uh, elderly volunteers in the uh, information booth who were laying on the ground and they were like 80 year olds, just terrified. Aww. And we saw the bullet holes. He was again, another miracle. He didn't hit anybody. And uh, so I knew I had seconds. I, you know, I didn't know. I didn't have training. I just said, I was just like, God, please just be with me. 
So I was going to do, uh, wait for him to come perpendicular to me and, and just, you know, kill him. So I had my gun in the high ready and I was like, no, I'm not going to, that's not good. So I just said, God, just please be with me one more time. I step out and I was like, police officer, drop your weapon, you know, as we're trained. And he points his AR at me. And before he could squeeze off any rounds, I was like, bam, 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 bam. Just rapid fire five times. And he at 63 feet. Uh, this is all in the police report. And he just goes flying on his back. He landed completely on his back. So I walk very quickly at him with my gun on him. And I'm like, drop your weapon or I will kill you. Well, he sits up. I didn't know till later that one of my rounds had went through both legs. That was that was a lucky shot. It just wow. took out both femurs. So he couldn't wow. stand up. and But he sat up and he starts shooting at me. So now we're close range. And he missed me. And there were bullet holes in the wall behind where I stood. I saw those later. That was like, holy crap. Oh, yeah. And uh, shot him again. And I hit him. And he missed me, of course. And then he tried to crawl down a he's, – he's bleeding badly. And he tried to crawl down this hallway. And I knew I could not let him get out of sight. I'd have another situation. Mm-hmm. So I, he's, he props, he's on his back. He props it up against the wall. His AR-15 is pointed down. So I'm like five feet from him. And I had seen when he was walking in that he had grenades on his, he had a weight bearing vest. He didn't have a bulletproof vest. It was weight bearing. So he had a backpack on with about 1700 rounds fully loaded in these 30 round magazines. And, uh, and then he had magazines stuffed in that uh, weight bearing jacket vest that he had on. And uh, so when I saw, so he had his hands down and I, I, I was, that was the only time I was afraid. I was like, if he pulls that pin, you know, not only am I going to be exploded into pieces, but so are all these people hiding in these bathrooms and classrooms right near us. And uh, so I shot him again and hit him in the carotid. And uh, he was, I saw him die. I was less than five feet. You know, you know, I don't like hunting, but I've, you know, when you kill an animal or something or a person, you see them, you know that you just killed them. There was no question. So um, I didn't know till later that he had that backpack on him and my pastor said, if you would have known he had all that ammunition, would you have gone after him? And it's like, uh, yeah, who cares? He had an AR-15 too. That didn't stop me. You know, so the mindset is what I want people to know. It's like, you cannot give the bad guys so much credibility. You've, you're the cop. You've got the training. You've got the equipment. And I think that's a lot of the reason why cops get so terrified uh, when they're in a shootout, it's like, don't give the bad guy so much credibility. Just it's you or him. So I didn't have post-traumatic stress from having to kill somebody. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was traumatic seeing all the blood. I got blood on my like lower chin and jaw, my shirt, jacket, you know, my, my like blazer, my jeans, my boots everywhere. Not, globs but blood spatter 
So and, uh, that was gross. I mean, that was gross. So at the it, so at the scene after you had killed him, uh, did, like like what else happened? Like, did you run up and handcuff him, or like? Well, I was right by him. So, well, so he's dead. Yeah, I called immediately, just by habit. You know, I need rescue and ambulance code three, and um, but they can't come unless the scene is safe. So they, mm-hmm. you know. They didn't know they, you know, everybody was mad at the ambulance and things because they were well, like, they, they, they come, didn't but they know stage. Yeah. They come, but they, they staged stage. and wait stage. until they hear it's all safe. Yeah. And so this man runs up to me immediately and he goes, he's shouting. He goes, that was the coolest thing I have ever seen. He goes, how did you do that? And I, I was not, you know, this is not the time to no, be celebratory not, because not we had heard that there were three gunmen. Right, right. And, and I didn't, in my gut, I knew this was the same guy from Arvada that I had read about mm-hmm. that morning. And, but I, but, you know, another guy, a member of the team who goes all around the country and tells a different, completely different story of what happened. He runs up to me and he goes, go check the lobby. And uh, so I ran down and checked the lobby and cleared it. And there was there was nobody else. And then I saw the Colorado Springs squad start to pull up and uh, go to the east hallway where the gunman had entered. And so I ran back, and all you know the, the remaining four team members were standing by the body. You know, Carl had stayed up there to watch the body. You know, you don't want to leave the body. And I had uh, made sure there were no weapons or anything in his hands. You know, that's the first thing you do. You don't assume they're dead. Yes, I was going to handcuff him, dead or alive, like I was taught, but he was so heavy, and I didn't know about that backpack. So I mm, couldn't. Yeah, true. And uh, so then SWAT, a SWAT team, you know, I'm just going to say SWAT for whoever's listening, Yeah. whatever you call it in your department. Right. Uh, they come in the door, and they're all squatting down and, like, ready to rock and roll, and they stand up, and they're like, who killed him? And all my team members were by the body and I was on the other side and they all pointed at me and I just kind of like raised my hand and uh, kind of like a blur after that. I, I when I, right. I have to share this cause it's really cool. This is the tr- absolute truth. When I shouted, you know, God, please just be with me one more time. And I stepped out and said, police officer, drop your weapon immediately with, I mean, it was the most amazing, powerful presence I've ever felt in my life. Uh, it surrounded me. It was a, it was like an angel or something. It was a, it was amazing, and uh, I know that's why those bullets didn't hit me. I was being protected. It was and it was uh, cool, very I, cool. I do I do believe in that also. And you've just told a very traumatic story. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to get deeper into your story. I want to get deeper into post traumatic stress. And I want to talk about like critical incident debriefings and things like that. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Are you looking for Thin Blue Line gear? It's available on our website at thinbluelineforwomen.com. That's thinbluelineline, the number four, women.com. Show your support for law enforcement and get your Thin Blue Line gear today. Just click on shop at thinbluelineforwomen.com. Are you interested in CSI or forensics? 
the Forensic Science Academy program has been recognized as the premier training program completely dedicated to students who are launching their forensic career. The Academy offers specialized hands-on training modules in basic and advanced crime scene investigation, forensic photography, fingerprint identification and classification, crime scene management, and coroner investigations. Instruction is offered in the form of weekend workshops, online courses, webinars, and seminars. Training at the Academy of Forensic Science will give students the competitive edge employers and agencies are looking for when hiring. Past graduates are now working as crime scene investigators, private investigators, forensic pathologists, coroner investigators, forensic nurses, forensic accountants, and even criminalists. The courses are taught by forensic professionals who are experts in the field and hold membership in the International Association for Identification and other professional forensic organizations. For more information, visit ForensicScienceAcademy.org. Again, that's ForensicScienceAcademy.org. And we're back talking with Jean Assam. Oh, that December 9th day, 2007, New Life Church. This is the shooting in Colorado Springs, Colorado. So you just told a story and it's kind of stressful listening to you talk about it. And I could see in my mind, I could put myself there. You're a very good storyteller, by the way. Um, I can't even imagine doing what you did and being where you were and, and responding like that. Um, it's very traumatic. And normally after incidents like these, there's a critical incident debriefing. There are chaplains on scene. Did you get any of that response after this? No, I was abandoned. I was abandoned. And um, it, that, that was the biggest cause of my post-traumatic stress was the abandonment. And uh, that hurt a lot because the church, you know, the people at the church really appreciated me. But um, there was um, and the gunman. I didn't learn this, learn this till 2011. Why were all those extra police officers, off-duty officers there that day? Well, they knew the gunman had written an email under a pseudonym uh, saying he was, he had wrote the, the pastor saying he was coming there to kill. And that's why oh, wow. instead of canceling services, not, the public does not know this stuff. So um, instead of canceling services, which they should have done, he just had a few more off-duty officers. So the officer, the police knew too. Why did they leave knowing he had already killed people in Arvada and he was, he was threatening to come here next? Why would you leave until all those people are safely at home? There were 7,000 plus people there at the time of the shooting. This is by police count. And uh, that's why I was uh, lied about and discredited big time. And that was devastating, devastating. So there's, you know, blogs and there's little gossip columns that men do. And they're like, oh. Oh, I heard this, I heard that. And 
just oh, I, you know, after every incident, and I'm not making light of yours at all, but after every incident, especially Monday morning incident, quarterbacking, Monday morning quarterbacking. Yeah, it, it, you, you took the do words Cops right do out of my mouth. Oh my yeah. gosh. Cops do do that to each other, and it's sad. They, they, they do they, about, about the sheriffs in uh, Florida. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, on someone CNN or somebody asked me that. And I said, uh, you know, I have to say I wasn't there. Right. I don't know. You don't do that to each other people. No, not at all. You know, it is, it is the totality of the circumstances. You cannot just have a five minute clip of what happened and say what you would have done. It is the totality of the circumstances. Everybody knows this. Mm -hmm. So anyway, getting back to my question, like, so, so even the even the department that responded, like what 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 was it, Colorado Springs PD that responded? Um, what what jurisdiction were you in? Uh, it was Colorado Springs PD. So they don't they don't have critical incident debriefings. Uh, they had one. Um, it was El Paso County Sheriff, and they had one. And I was were, something happened to me that I I would love it if somebody would contact me. Here's what happened to me after the shooting. Um, I was so traumatized by all the lies that came out, like the front, I just need to share this. The front page, like on the third or fourth day said that um, I was fired from, you know, lying in Minneapolis, which I didn't lie. That was a lie. I I was there five years. So you guys are going to hear about that. I didn't lie. I'm not a liar. Um, I had had to file a lawsuit after two sergeants, a male and a female were writing me up for fabricating things that I didn't do. So let's just get that out there as cops. You know, that happens to, to cops. When you're doing a good job, I had received more letters of appreciation from civilians than than any than these two 28-year sergeants said they had ever seen. I love being a cop. I was very good at it, and I was very well respected by my peers. But when you're a threat to uh, climbers who want to be sergeants and get promoted, they're going to take you out. And I know I'm speaking to people who know what I'm talking about. So, mm-hmm. oh, um, yeah. There's so they brought, that was there. a front page. That was front page uh, news and the Colorado Springs Gazette that devastated me. So, so here's my PTSD kicking in. That was very strange. I could not hear, like people were talking to me and I couldn't hear them. All I could see were their mouths moving. Wow. I'm not kidding. It was very strange. They had this big celebratory thing the church did. And I had all these, so that, you know, the Air Force Academy is in Colorado Springs. So I had all these highly decorated colonels and generals and, you know, coming up and shaking my hand and they were crying. And at what I did, you know, like how brave I was and things. And I was just, I don't know what I looked like to them, but I couldn't hear people talking to me. It was very strange. So write me if you've had that happen to you after a shooting. But so they had a critical incident that was El Paso County Sheriff. Um, I don't know. It was the next day after my couple of my siblings came out to be with me. And the, the lady running it, she didn't say she walked out last. She didn't say, good job. How are you doing? Can I do anything for you? She just walked past me like I was a whore. And that devastated me. It was very bizarre. Very bizarre. I don't know what they told her. It hurt. So I'm sharing things with you guys that I don't normally mm-hmm, mm-hmm. talk about, but we're all, you know, we're supposed to be family. Well, I'm wondering why you weren't asked or invited to go 
to the critical incident. You should have you should have attended. I, that I was sure. I was there, but I oh okay. I was, I okay. was there and I couldn't really pay attention because the I'm glad the you lies had already started. Okay, I understand yeah. that. And so, um, what about chaplains? Was a chaplaincy presence there at all? I don't know. They just had. They took me right after the shooting. They said they took me uh, to another area. I didn't know that people had been shot and killed in the parking lot. Uh, he had shot five people out there. Uh, killed. He had targeted a family right away who were getting in their van shot uh one sister she died in her fraternal twin sister's arms he shot her in the Aww. head and the chest she died in her fraternal twin sister's arms shot another sister shot their father he didn't die the other sister died at the hospital and, uh, and then he shot another family they were shot in the shoulder so different wounds mm-hmm. so a total of nine people were shot four killed and uh I didn't know about the uh, people outside yet. So they took me to another area and some of the members of my team were like, Gene, do you want to call your family or anything? And I was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> you know, after this had just <laughs> happened and, and then I'm like thinking, Oh, this might make the news. And uh, so I'm like, well, okay, I'll, I'll call my, my, I have a fraternal twin too. So I called my sister and I'm like, Jen, she goes, what? And I said, an active shooter just, or I said, a shooter just came in the church and shot a, shot a bunch of people. And I, and she goes, holy crap. And I go, I killed him. She goes, holy crap. And I was like, well, gotta go. Uh, <laughs> so, so that's what I left my poor sister. Well, it's, it sounds like funny, I guess, or, or, or weird <laughs> that you're saying that, but, but during those, stress, during those stressful <laughs> moments like that, that we're not clearly thinking at all. You know, no, that, this made this just, literally went all over the yeah, world, like I'm India, sure. France, Germany. Yeah. And uh, I mean, so the next day uh, we had a what do you call it? a press conference? I didn't know what I was in for. I no, nobody told me, you know, you might want to look nice and there's going to be a huge room full of media from all over the world. So I come in looking ghetto with just like a striped shirt on and faded blue jeans. And, and I remember um, I was in a small room with a high ranking Colorado Springs official. And he goes, the last thing he said, I was like, what do I say? I don't even know what to say. And he goes, right before I ran out there, he goes, don't tell him you're a cop. That's what he shouted at me. Don't tell him you're a cop. Why and so not? I was, I had not slept. I don't know. Cause I made the, I made CSPD look bad. They oh, left. Gosh. Right. I mean, is that the reason or so I step out there to address the media and not knowing what I was going to say at all. And I was just like kind of stuttering and I just started talking and, you know, I don't know how I sounded, but I had to tell the truth. I had to say how God protected me, you know, and I was scared because I thought I'm going to sound like a freak. I was a brand new believer, but I had to, I was like, uh, you know, I'm basically alive because God protected me. I, I had to. I think you're going to find that a lot of people listening right now are believers. You know, I, I, on even on my page on Thin Blue Line for Women, I'll, I always post or I often post things about God and about believers, and you know, and I have a really good feedback 
uh, on those posts. We need and that in our lives, especially do. as police officers. We do. And, you know, I sell a lot of things online. Blessed are the peacemakers. You know, there's a lot of, um, I have a challenge coin that's the armor of God. And people buy it constantly. That's the number one yeah. purchase. I coin, put that armor you know? of God on every day because it's yeah. so yeah. similar to our armor that we put on. Yes, absolutely. So, okay. So you say you, you suffer from post-traumatic stress, but not from the shooting. You suffer from it because of the lack of support. The betrayal. That you've been given. Lack of support, the betrayal. The, okay. You know, I do speaking engagements, but no, like, no police, you know, Denver PD invited me to speak. I was still kind of messed up. But, mm-hmm. um, and, and some church groups invite me to speak, not churches, but church security groups. And it's mm-hmm. like, what about my fellow officers, man? Mm-hmm. That's my family. That's supposed to yeah, be my family. Right. But, yeah. That has hurt me, especially even I hate it when they say, you know, why don't you teach women how to shoot? And it's like, why women? Why not both men and women? I'm a yeah. good shot. Do you know I was a Minneapolis range instructor? I was a Minneapolis wow. range instructor. Awesome. And that that wasn't printed. That was, you know, it's like, I'm a good shot. There's oh, nothing okay. wrong with saying that. That's so I'm going to toot my own horn for for 30 seconds here, when I was in the academy, there was one year, one year only that I was at the top of, of the entire, cause we, we used to qualify every, uh, let's see, like three times a year. So every four months. And I was the only female in the department to get 100% that, year, that, that, that qualification period. And I was happy about that. I mean, I felt good. You know, I'm a good shot. I love shooting. I love shooting. Um, anyway, so is there anything that you learned from this incident? Like you talked a little bit about the mindset, like, like, can you tell anyone about that? Like, just, um, just be there for each other. I mean, you know, women are, women are cool. We're, we are supposed to, you know, I like the team of men and women. I, we're, you know, men of the physical strength, women of the internal strength. And it's like, we're supposed to be partners here, guys. Don't, mm-hmm. don't uh, leave each other out. You know, like women here, men there. It's like, you're my brothers. Right. You're my sisters. Where were you when I needed you? You know, where were you? Where are you right now? I've, I've contacted the agencies out here, like Rocky Mountain law enforcement, the women, they just kind of blew me off. And it's like, yeah, are you listening to the gossip? Or are you, are you going to listen to me? I, why would I, you know, I don't make up anything. I have no reason to make up anything. I had to kill that guy. Uh, that's not something you make up. I was less than five feet from him. I got his blood all over me. I need you guys to, I need to have somebody to talk to like we all do. Right. I need right. you to support me. I need yes, work. Support. Support, I had to be, sure. I, I applied to all these different police agencies and uh, no, they wouldn't even background me because of the Minneapolis crap. It's like, why don't you at least background me and see mm-hmm. that I didn't lie about calling a bus driver an asshole. That's not something you get fired for. <laughs> it's all on video proving I didn't lie, people. It was mm-hmm. retaliation for filing a lawsuit. Oh, gotcha. Three of the five years I was there getting harassed by these two sergeants. Oh, That's why I'm I was sorry fired. you went through that. So what are you doing today? Are you writing a book or? I wrote a book and I took it off. I self-published. I took it off. I had two guys from the church breathing down my neck, telling me, don't write that. You know, 
you know, I was molested as a kid and into my early twenties and they're like, you must have done something to bring that on. And, you know, like they made me feel like I was responsible for getting molested as a kid and stuff. So, you know, they, they pressured me and don't put this in the book. Don't put that. And then when I wrote it, I didn't know at the time of the note, a, a retired homicide detective asked to meet with me one day in 2011 shooting was 20 end of 20 of 2007. And he told me, he goes, the, the gunman wrote an email you know, warning that he was coming to the church. He wrote the pastor and he said, I'm surprised they haven't tried to have you killed. That's what he said to me. That's what he said to me. That was creepy. That's just so, so I didn't know that stuff when I wrote the book and I wanted the book to be about the good stuff, you know, but I got to rewrite it. I took it off the market. I had it on Kindle. Okay. So you're, you're going to rewrite it and republish it so we can read it. Possibly I should. I mean, if if people like the podcast today, I don't know how the response is right now. Yeah. So how, how can people reach you if they want to talk to you about the incident or if they want to ask you questions or if they want to talk to you uh, on Twitter, Twitter, Gina Som at Twitter, you know, how, yeah, it's, I use way? my real name, my real picture, and then mm-hmm. Facebook. I use my real name. Okay. So, so we just need to pour some support on Eugene, and and you know, or you, or let me support people who are suffering yeah. right now. I mean, Both I ways. like to help people. Both ways, yeah. So I, I'm it, an investigator now. I I'm an investigator now for three years. Uh, you know, I do a lot of personal protection, but right now because of the this stupid coronavirus uh, out of work. And it's a little scary. Yeah, definitely. For sure. So what, what can you leave us with? What, isn't there anything positive that you can leave us with about, about anything that you've gone through? Yeah. Start your day, start your patrol, your shift with a prayer, with asking God to be with you, to give you discernment, you know, to go with your gut feeling, which is your discernment to protect you to keep you safe, um, you're, you, you're, you know, to make your, your, your aim be true. Cause it's you or him, mm-hmm. you, you know, these days you got to be very alert. You have to be a good shot because a lot of these gangbangers are very good shots. I mean, it's just like, wow. So sometimes they um, practice more than us. Uh, yes, they do with their little Mac tens and tech nines and mm-hmm. whatever they've got. So, um, so you're pretty much saying put on the armor of God, just put on the armor of God, go with your gut, gut instinct. And, uh, you know, the bad guy is not more powerful than you. You've got God. You've got the power. You are the police officer. You took an oath to protect and serve whether you live and die you know, you do what it takes to keep the people safe. Gene, and don't let you. people pour water on you, by the way. That's just, uh, don't let people bully you. You don't stand for that. You're a police officer. You're an authority figure that's willing to give your life to save people. Don't let people bully you. Don't take that crap. Thank you and so thank much. You. You're very welcome. I, I appreciate you coming on today and telling your story. I know it was difficult for you. Thank you very much. Again, if you would like to reach out to Jean and give her some support or ask her any questions, she's on Twitter and Facebook under her name, Jean Assam. Jean, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. 
The Real Life Podcast was recorded and is being made available by Anchor.fm and its affiliates solely for the informational and entertainment purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided and or expressed on the Real Life Podcast are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers, and are responsible for all show content and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the agencies and communities that the guests may serve. Some parts of the Real Life Podcast may contain adult content intended for people who are 18 years of age or older. Please listen responsibly.